From the Island Lost fans, you are tuned into a special edition of The Transmission. This is a podcast devoted to the show Lost on ABC. I'm Jen. And I'm Ryan. And we're coming to you from Waikiki, capping off a full day of special events, a celebration of Lost, as they call it, as part of the Hawaii International Film Festival, and a special evening with Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse. So, as we mentioned in our last show, we thought we'd break into our regular programming to share with you the audio from this special event. What this means for our Season 3 rewatch is we will resume next next week so you still have time to watch episodes 10 11 12 and get in your feedback absolutely we'd love to hear from you on those but we're pretty sure you don't mind hearing something new from right here on the island now recapping briefly the day started with three master classes 90 minute sessions devoted to specific topics about lost the first master class was on producing the show hosted by gene higgins yep co-executive producer um, jack bender was supposed to be there but she said he was busy editing the season premiere the second session was on the set and uh, production design of lost so they talked about local They talked about uh, designing and they talked about construction and building things. Right. They talked about a lot of the disasters that had befallen them because of Mother Nature. Exactly. Great stories. And the last session was on the props and the costumes of Lost. And um, they talked about, well, the prop guy said... Uh, quite tantalizingly that he's finally made his two favorite props he's ever made for the show but we haven't seen it yet very interesting and actually the prop guy might be known to some really hardcore fans he was um, in Jacob's cabin in the rocking chair he was the original Jacob so that was quite a thrill and you can let us know if you'd like to hear the audio from those sessions as well of course I got them maybe I can sprinkle sprinkle them in between our rewatch episodes but otherwise the piece de resistance the main event was as I mentioned in an evening with Damon Uh, Lindelof and Carlton Cuse at the Royal Hawaiian Theater. Right, with special guests Jorge Garcia, Terry O'Quinn, Michael Emerson, and Yoon Jin Kim. Absolutely, and of course, uh, Jack Bender and Gene Higgins were there as well, and the entire uh, discussion was moderated by the TV critic from uh, Variety. So, without further ado, here comes the audio from tonight's program. Uh, Maybe rough, a lot of clips that they played, so you're going to hear some audio you've obviously heard before, but still, I think it was a great evening and great energy, and we hope you enjoy it. Stay lost. Aloha. Hello. Hello. Hi, I'm Chuck Bowen, Executive Director of the Hawaii International Film Festival. Good to see you all. Welcome. This is HIP Celebrates Lost Day at the 29th Annual Hawaii International Film Festival. We're already planning for our 30th anniversary next year, so stay tuned. I want to thank the Royal Hawaiian Theater for working with us to make this evening possible. Again, as a conclusion of our HIP Celebrates Lost Day, Many of you were at the master classes we had earlier today with uh, Jack Bender, Gene Higgins, and others from Lost, the people who uh, make the whole thing possible. We're honored this evening to be uh, have the uh, very special people behind this series here with us, and I'm going to introduce them in just a moment. First of all, what about that trailer that was produced entirely in Hawaii by talent here in Hawaii? We thank Daniel Day Kim for being the star of our trailer as well. 
if film festival couldn't be possible without the support of good people like you, and uh, many of you have been attending the festival for years, and we appreciate that very much. We encourage you to see the films in the festival. They're selling out fast, so you have to move pretty quickly to get some tickets. We're going to go to several awards this evening, and it gives me great pleasure to present the first award. Hiff thought, okay, how do we honor two people who have really been uh, major contributors to Lost here in Hawaii? Executive producer Jack Bender and executive producer Gene Higgins. So we created an award specifically for them, and the first and perhaps only time it's ever going to be given. Hiff is inaugurating its Mahalo Nui Loa Award <laughs> to honor two individuals who have made invaluable contributions to the art and culture of filmmaking in Hawaii. It gives me great pleasure to welcome to the stage Jack Bender and Gene Higgins.
Thank you. You know, it gives me great pleasure to introduce someone else who's had a major impact on filmmaking in Hawaii because of the extraordinary support of the Hawaii International Film Festival and production in Hawaii, in Honolulu in particular. To present our Vision and Film Award, and he can tell you more about that award as well, Honolulu Mayor Mufi Hanneman.
Let's get on with the show. Get the great pleasure to introduce the chief TV critic from Variety, Brian Lowry. Brian, come on up. Um, 
so deeply, so we're, we're eternally grateful to them as well. Well, um, and given, I mean, the, the, it's kind of a famous story that the executives who actually greenlit the show were not around after, after the pilot was shot, or most of them weren't. Um, was there any talk at any point early in that in the show's life cycle about you know someone saying running the numbers and saying could we do this in a soundstage in Culver City or or was it always Hawaii? No, I mean there there was. I mean in fact you know there that conversation did happen, but you know we we pointed out how it was it was pretty easy to see by the by the end of the first season how important the you know the shooting the show in Hawaii was to the show and and the other places that were being proposed just didn't even compare and fortunately the show has become a success at that point and I think that that helped us a lot in terms of you know uh, having the, the, the leverage to continue to shoot the show here as well as the incredible cooperation of this, the city and the state and in kind of working with us to, to make the financial side of the show work out. Um, you mentioned, uh, I mean, obviously, you're not going to talk a lot about specific details about the upcoming season. Um, I'm not everybody promises not to say that. <laughs> Blackberry's off. No uh, uh, but, but a couple of questions at, at this stage. You're, you're about five episodes into the, the 18 episodes for the final season at this point. Yes. We're shooting the fifth episode, but we've written the first seven. Okay. How many people at, at this stage know how the show wraps up, and is J.J. Abrams one of them? <laughs> uh, well, uh, obviously all the writers know um, how the show's going to end, because we've been talking about and it, uh, Eddie Kisses and Adam Horowitz have been on since season one, Elizabeth Steinoff's in season two. We have in-depth conversations about the episode that we're breaking, but then at the end of every season, we have a writer's minicamp where we talk about what we're going to do in the following season and beyond. Once we secured an end date for the series, everybody who was part of the writing process pretty much had a very strong sense of, uh, of what that was. Um, as far as JJ goes, he himself is sort of, um, you know, publicly spoken about the fact that he hasn't been creatively involved in the show since the first season, and he really enjoys watching it as a fan. So he'll call us the day after an episode airs. He sees it at the same time that you do, and basically say, oh my god, that was awesome. He has, he has expressed an interest and curiosity in how the show is going to end now. And we are uh, internally debating as to, as to whether or not he'll enjoy it more if he sees it on the air or whether we tell him. But uh, he's kind of like, tell me, don't tell me. And, but clearly when we were doing the pilot, there were a lot of things that we talked about that, uh, that, that uh, may or may not be incorporated in the, the actual series now. Yeah, and I also, in, in along those same lines, um, I mean, I, I know a little something about this, but I suspect a lot of people don't. What kind of security measures do you have to go through in terms of uh, putting out red herrings and, you know, when you're uh, auditioning actors for guest roles and those sorts of things um, to keep what is going to happen in the show secret because I think it it probably set the bar for that in terms of television shows having to go to these sort of crazy like Star Wars sequel lengths almost. What's happened is that there's this new kind of spoiler culture that has evolved on the internet and there are internet sites where people make money sort of parasitically trying to spoil the secrets of the show. And of course, shooting in Hawaii, uh, you know, it's a, this is a, a state 
uh, where there's a lot of public space, and so we're filming on public beaches and in, and in locations, and people get telephoto lenses and they take pictures and they shoot scenes. And last year they had pictures of our characters in Dharma jumpsuits, and so they kind of were figuring out, oh, what does it mean that our characters all got stuff like, you know, uh, members of the Dharma Initiative, and you know, so we 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 can't really stop it. I mean, the the, the front line is that everybody who works on Lost is is really committed to the show and I think works very hard to protect and preserve, you know, the, the secrets of the show in, in terms of, you know, the scripts and the all the material that they get. But we actually when we cast and when you cast a show you have to send out sides, which is the scenes that the actors reach audition, those have to go out to all the agency and the agencies. So we never actually send actors the actual scenes they're going to audition with. We write fake scenes that kind of are like the scenes that they're going to do. So someone write, might read a scene like between a, a couple of insurance executives and then find themselves in the jungle, you know, battling a uh, polar bear. <laughs> but the emotions are the same. <laughs> All right, and, and this is as close as I think I'll get to, to having you say anything about, uh, about the last season, but I'm gonna give it a shot. Um, Given that the series has evolved from year to year, I would suspect in ways that you didn't entirely anticipate. Um, is it going to end pretty much in the place you always envisioned it ending, or did it evolve into something that you didn't quite see when the when the show launched? I know Carl and you joined it just a few episodes in, but from that from that moment, that, that's a very very clever question. <laughs> I've, I've done this a few years. <laughs> No wonder you were offering me all those cocktails before the Basically, the question that we get asked the most often, other than, um, you know, uh, you know, what's the monster or, um, you know, what do the numbers mean? Is are you making it up as you go along? Um, and this is a question that we've been asked, you know, from the beginning. And, um, and, and, and all, all that we can really say is, is that, We've, we've always had a plan, but like in life, um, anybody who has a plan, you have to presuppose that the plan is actually going to work. Um, and we, we feel like one, one place that we've been very good at is that we try to be fans of the show that we're writing. And sometimes our plans don't work. And uh, when it's not working, we have to figure out a way to either cha change the plan or amend the plan. But that being said, for the last four or five years, pretty much between seasons one and seasons two, we began to talk about how the show was going to end if they allowed us to end it. Um, and right now, that's the ending that we're doing. And I can't imagine anything that would change our mind. We're, we're so committed in terms of the storytelling to achieving that end that, um, you know, so, so yes, the answer is, although the, the route that we took to get there was wildly different than we ever could have imagined it. The destination is the same. Um, I also want to ask, I, mean, I think one of the, the real breakthrough things with the show um, was the, that you negotiated with and got ABC to allow you to announce an end date of a hit show three years in advance. Um, and in, in hindsight, as you're kind of getting ready to wrap up the show, how important was that to, to the evolution of the show? I, and I think it was the single most significant thing that happened um, during the course of the show, I mean, in terms of a business decision. And when we, you know, when we first 
we first started doing the show, we really realized that these flashbacks were kind of finite. You know, it's really great when you discover that Hurley's a lottery winner and Sawyer's a con man, but once you start getting into like why does Jack have you know his tattoos, you realize you know maybe maybe we don't really need to know all those details about the characters and and we you know we took really uh, for us the model was J.K. Rowling who announced that you know after the first book there'd be seven Harry Potter books and really defined the journey of what that um, creative experience was going to be like and we really wanted to do the same and, and sometime. In, it really in season three we got to the place where not only were you know we had a, we were doing these storylines where our characters were in cages on Hydra Island and I think proverbially proverbial proverbial thank you uh, Dan and I felt like we were locked in cages and uh, and we, then when we took our shirts off and started making out with each other <laughs> we realized we had to like, show stop stop the show right now this is enough uh, but we've got it was Jack Ben alluded to the show being a life-changing experience. <laughs> but no. It'll be on the DVD extra for season five. Yeah. Uh, the, the special cage uh, scenes. Uh, so we, we, we ended up, you know, fortunately ABC, ABC uh, saw the, saw, you know, also saw the wisdom of this. And, you know, it's a show that has a beginning, middle, and end. You know, Grey's Anatomy, I think you can make that show for 20 years. It's about people in a hospital, and it's about an institution, and you can always rotate other doctors in, and there's always new patients, and there's new stories, but, you know, these people crashed on the plane, and we need to explain what the heck that was all about. Where is the, what is the fate of these characters? What is their destiny? And, and I think the audience wouldn't care about the show at all if we had an announced end date, and that we would be, we wouldn't be sitting here Front of you now. I think that uh, it was it was the single most important thing, and it really also allowed us to take the mythology, as Dana just mentioned, and and figure out exactly we knew exactly how much time we had left. So it really allowed us to kind of plan out how we were going to tell the rest of our story effectively. And did it? I mean, was it instrumental in keeping the, the show was an enormous hit at, at fairly early in its run, um, and then it started to come down a little bit. Um, was there ever a point in in that in which the network said, you know, could you simplify it, or did they ever try to interfere with that, or was was charting an end date a way to sort of keep them off your backs in a way? You know, I I, I think that um, the network accepted the fact that the longer the, the show went on, the the more intricate the house of cards and the mythology that we were building was, and you know, essentially. You know, Lost is a mystery show. Some mysteries are resolved in a single episode. You know, why is Sawyer, you know, so angry at this board that he's running after? And then the flashback answers that. That's an emotional mystery. But the larger mysteries, the mysteries of the island and the monster and, and the numbers and Jacob and all these other things just became, became more and more intricate. So it, it, it became harder for people who've never seen the show to get in. I think the network was interested at the beginning of the seasons is there a way to make the show accessible to people who have never seen the show before? By season three, they pretty much gave up. <laughs> They're basically like, you know, if you try to explain it, there have been times where Carl and I are trying to explain the show to somebody who's never seen it before, and you just sound like a crazy person. Yeah. You know? It's like, well, there's a guy down there in a hat who's pushing a button every hundred minutes, or it's a world will end. Yeah, we do, the, we do these clip shows, and we have to go, basically, they ask us to, to sort of explain the narrative as the narration for the clip shows, and we finish and go, this show is crazy. It is crazy. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, we, uh, 
we we do our best, but I think that you know it it the show is diminished in viewers because it demands this very intense commitment. I mean, I think if uh, you know a lot more people would get married if you know if uh, if your potential if a guy basically got down with me and said, "Sweetie, I really I just want to spend the next year with you," and then. <laughs> Then, then we'll talk and see if we want to do it another year. But more, you know, if, when you're talking about a, a long-term investment, if we had said to you, don't watch the pile of lost unless you want to invest the next six years of your life thinking about this happening show, you would have watched something entirely different. Now, I want to yell that now at all the people getting married at my hotel. Actually, that would be just a year, say it's for a year. Yeah. Um, and just uh, kind of last thing before we bring some other people up, so I have some people sitting closer to me. Um, uh, you, you guys have had a really interesting experience with this, with doing the podcast, um, getting a chance to go to, to Comic-Con in San Diego and have uh, 7,000 people line up, literally sleep overnight to see you. Um, even when you walked in tonight, I noticed, I mean, people applauded when you walked in. They recognized you, obviously, from the web or interviews of the podcast, which I don't think has been a common thing for TV producers all the time. Has this been a little taste of uh, what it's like to be a rock star from a TV producer perspective? <laughs> it's, you know, it's certainly nothing that you ever expect when you do this job. And, uh, you know, I remember, like, I was shopping at Whole Foods and I was just pushing my shopping cart through the produce section. I just could see this woman looking at me like she recognized me and we made eye contact and she went, excuse me, are you Ted Danson? <laughs> and Brian said, yes, yes I am. <laughs> well, that'll bring you right back down to so, yeah. Pretty much, so. And, and have either of you, and I'm, I'm actually interested to ask the cast about this too, but have, um, you've been, I mean, this has not been a case where you do the show and you go off and develop 20 other shows. You've really, you two have really, you know, thrown everything into it. Have you thought at all about what it's going to feel like in May when, when the show's done and uh, it's time to figure out what you're going to do after that? You know, we... This is like the Barbara Walters interview. Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to get you to cry. <laughs> Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, for us, the, the show has been sort of an all-consuming endeavor, and that's because that's the way that we want it, and, you know, and we love it, and it, it, it's a full-time job, and, you know, working with our partners in Hawaii, um, you know, we spend so much uh, time talking to Jack and Jean and all the actors and all that stuff. The, the idea of thinking about life after Lost or life without Lost is incredibly bittersweet, but at the same time, I think that we're all thrilled that it's ending. The fact that the show is now coming to an end and we're ending it on our own terms as opposed to the show is being canceled or it went on three or four years after it should have, um, you know, really generates this tremendous excitement. And as for, you know, what we're going to do next, we were, Carl and I, when we go to Comic-Con, we actually like to attend other panels. And there was a panel with uh, Peter Jackson and uh, James Cameron. And James Cameron's basically been working on this movie Avatar for the last eight years. You know, so uh, in fact, Yoon Jin Kim, uh, who's here tonight, actually did you know camera tests for Avatar before you know uh, lost. <laughs> so, uh, so essentially, uh, some fan said to uh, Mr. Cameron, "What are you uh, going to do when you're finally finished with Avatar?" And he said, 
asking me what I'm going to do after Avatar is sort of like asking a woman if she's going to have any more kids when she's crowning. Um, you know, so we kind of feel like we're crowning right now. Don't talk to us uh, about what's next. And uh, let us just deliver the baby, clean it off, show it to you, and, uh, and, and then, then we'll talk strategy. That was extremely vivid. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, sometimes we actually do a pantomime, but so uh, it doesn't seem like the right venue. So that goes with the cage stuff. Yeah, it does. So we're we're actually going to see three clips uh, from the show tonight. Um, the first one is uh, is the raft scene from the Exodus, and I was going to let you set it up, but I was just thinking back when I was at the agency up front. Um, in New York, where they screened this clip uh, the week before, I think it was it was supposed to air, and the advertisers were all supposed to be very cool and reserved, and they went bonkers after they saw this. So, uh, if the two of you just want to set it up, yeah. Uh, this is the end of season one, basically. It's kind of uh, it's, it's very close to the end of season one. I'm sure all of you will remember the scene, but <coughs> we we're showing you guys a few clips. Uh, uh, tonight, and you know, think and that are sort of illustrative of you know the, the process of making the show. And I think that what's most meaningful about this clip is is it really illustrates the very collaborative nature of making television, and that, and, which is the thing I think that we really love the most about it. So, um, Dave and I wrote the scene, and you know, in sort of as poetic a fashion as we could, we talked about this raft departing and leaving the beach, and then um, Jack and Jean and collaboration with us, we worked on building this raft, which was an incredible ordeal, and then Jack directed this scene, and, and this is the whole thing with Vincent the dog in there, was something that he added, you see the emotion of uh, the actors who were playing in this, uh, Yunjin is here tonight, uh, and, um, and then after it was all shot, we went to the scoring stage where Michael Giacchino, our composer, uh, was writing the music for this, and Moss is one of the very few shows that has a live orchestra, and these players are professional musicians and they don't they don't actually rehearse the material. They get the sheet music in the session and then they play it along and they read it. So basically they put the scene up, they had the, the score in front of them and they were playing along and so no one had heard it and it was the most beautiful thing ever. And, and Dan and I are sitting in the control room and we started like cheering up and all the people there were cheering up. And then the musicians, when they finished, they all started clapping their bows against their instruments and applauding and because the cue was so beautiful. And, you know, when you see the scene, you know, the, the words on the page were just such a small part of what makes it work. And, and I think it, it's absolute testimony to how all the people who work on show on, on Lost kind of together, this, this entity is so much greater than any of the individual parts. I think the big question that we were asked going into the first season of the show, because there were a lot of people who doubted whether or not we could sustain this as a series, was what does hope look like and what does a victory look like on, on the show? And the clip that you're about to see, we feel, is one of the best demonstrations of hope and victory that we've, we've done in five years. Right now. Can we go ahead and run that?
The, the bit with the dog really is a killer. I mean, that's, um, I'd like to bring back up executive producers Jack Bender and Gene Higgins.
Europe and go through all the laws. I'm gonna take a week, not sleep, and just keep watching, 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 just to get everything back. And I think it'll become sort of it'll it'll set in when that happens. Yeah, I, I actually asked you this once, Carlton and Damon, but I, I think you said it would be impossible. But I, I always said I was wondering if you could do what, what they did with The Godfather, where they took the two movies and put them in chronological order. Uh, if that would be even remotely possible to put Lost in chronological order. You know, I'm, we actually experimented with that on some of these clip shows, and they said, said well, wouldn't that be an interesting thing to see these scenes you know, actually, um, you know, in, in linear order. But the thing is, is that there isn't really a complete linear time frame. I mean, they also contextually relate to other scenes that the show really only goes together the way that it goes together. And, and we, we looked at it, and it, it didn't actually work. I mean, it wasn't like, it wasn't like Godfather, but I don't think the show can be reordered. And, uh, or, or if someone, you know, figures out a way many years from now to do that, I will be surprised. One, one thing you do learn working on Lost is time is not what we think it is, clearly, mm -hmm. in the storytelling and in the living of it. But it is so extraordinarily rich, the experience of doing the show and working together and making it, that when you see these clips, it's overpowering. To, and and it, it's just, it's somewhat overwhelming. And, uh, wonderful. Um, and Michael, you, um, recently picked up a well-deserved Emmy for the show. You only had 30 seconds to, to say that this was a guest shot that actually was parlayed into yeah. much more than that. I wondered if you could just kind of uh, expand a little bit on what that chain of events was like on, on your end and all that was going on. Well, it's a freakish and wonderful development in a character actor's life, really. I mean, you expect, I mean, you have a pattern in your career where you, you drop into shows for a few days or a week, maybe, and then you go back home and you look for the next one. And I, I'm, I've never been anywhere this long. I, I've, never, I've never settled in and stayed like I have here. And so that's, that's a, a great experience. I'm, I'm most happy about it, and and you, it's it's, it's so. I, I think you always hope at the back of your mind that you will turn in a performance that will be necessary to someone, or that they'll like it well enough to write a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And that seems to have somehow happened to me here. And just one, I was going to ask this later, but I'm afraid I'll forget. Um, you get beat up more. In, in the history of television, I think. And, and I just wondered what, what the continuity is on your makeup. I mean, keeping track of your bruises and scars and stitches and from week to week. Is that a, is that a chore for, for whoever has to keep it's track? It's a chore for a number of people. <laughs> it's highly complicated and very detailed. There's a, there's a book somewhere with a thousand Polaroids in it, and there, there all, all of the evolution of certain bruises and scars. That'll make a great cocktail book one day. That's a flip book. Gonna get through it. We're all his first.
understand the study came from New York, and uh, I think Stephen Williams was directing that episode. It's true. And uh, he was hung from a tree, had an arrow shot in his back, fell knee deep in mud, and this New York sophisticated actor was probably saying, what the hell is going on with the show? I had, and, he, and, and you withstood it brilliantly. I had run into some actors in, in New York who had said, oh, lost. Good, great show, but that's rough work. And I, I thought, how rough could it be? <laughs> I, I know that we promised that we wouldn't spoil anything from season six, but but I, but I think that since you guys did, you know, pay the show, that at the very least we we, sh we should say that then we'll get beat up. We have to go back. 
That really did blow everyone's mind. I mean, at the, at the point where you did that. Um, I remember we actually came down to Hawaii and we told you. Yeah. The, where were we at the beach? We'd been drinking or <laughs> Yeah, Jameson's Yeah, Oliva. We told you, and you were like, what? And I was like, maybe it's too, too confusing. And you called us, like, half an hour later. Yeah, I think I sent you an email, basically. Yeah. I was like, I drove home in silence, just like, trying to process it. <laughs> it, just, it, it really excited me about it. Well, Terry, you, I mean, more than probably any other character, your character has been through every up, down, and horrible thing that can happen. Have, have, uh, how much, I mean, given the, the changes and the flashbacks and flash forwards, how much have you been able to get in terms of where the character's heading as you, as you develop it? I have no idea where the just like the characters, they, they're in that particular episode, but they don't know what's coming after that. It's kind of, every evolution has been fair. And, uh, I take a step, uh, I mean, the premise, I think, is wrong enough that, that John Locke's been through more, given what a lot of these characters have been through. But every step that my character has taken, I was able to plant my feet and develop it, and they said, Take another step and uh, trust that when you hit the ground, something's going to be there and something has always been there. And I've enjoyed that. I've enjoyed that immensely. Uh, I, was, I wasn't trusting at first, and uh, I've gotten a lot more trusting in the course of it. And so now it's only actually. We killed you two seasons ago. Yeah. <laughs> And um, for Jack and Dean, uh, or any of the cast that want to weigh in on this, uh, what are the logistics like? Logistics like um, doing a show like this when you want to question something with tone or something when the writing staff is five hours away? Sure. Uh, we uh, we're in constant communication, and uh, we also have what are called tone meetings with. If I'm directing or another director is directing, we're, we're taking through the script. And the essential players are in the room to hear what David Carlton and the other writers might have had in mind if it's not evident on the page, thematically, tonally, and also in terms of what's coming. Like, you may not think that this. You know, award is important, but if you put it this way, it's going to be really important three episodes later because of something's going to happen. So it's very, uh, so we're in constant communication. And one thing before Gene takes over, I wanted to say about Terry and all our actors, it's extraordinary, and I think it's uh, Damon Carlton once said that they don't know if they're writing Lost or Lost is writing them. And we all kind of feel that way in a way. And, uh, the actors, I mean, Terry was going down the direction his character was going last year before we got to the finale. And when I showed him, we were a little bit into the finale, and I showed you the, uh, or before the finale, I showed you the 
outline because of where your characters eventually get. And he read it and said, God, I'm kind of disappointed I read it. You know, and it was because I kind of was going there, and he was going there. It was instinctive, and it's just all part of this extraordinary experience. What we can say. No, I mean, it really is as for the actors, you know, just being so trusting that we're going to get there. Logistically, from a production standpoint, um, I really don't know what the next episode is going to bring me. And I, I often call Carlton and see what they can go. Are we ever going to see this set again? I'm running out of stage space. You need to tell me where it's going. And um, sometimes it's like, well, it, it's never going to go. It's never going to go. So it's, uh, we just have a little warehouse. <laughs> but it's, it's the constant juggling of what you do have, but creating the space for what may come, but you don't know. And yet, that's sort of the joy of it is how big is the puzzle and how good is the puzzle and the answer is really only how good I am. A lot of it is really, I mean, the thing that's, that's funny is I think that, you know, actors sort of blithely write, you know, this character, you know, uh, runs up the hillside in the driving rain and the mud and, like, that's actually what happens. I mean, if, if we write that, then, you know, Gene and Jack will be out there in the deep jungle someplace and the characters will be running up the hillside in the mud and, you know, go through 20 towels to do all the takes you know, in the rain and the mud to actually execute it. So much of the show is actually not about the special effects or sets. It's actually shot in the, you know, all the beautiful places on the island of Oahu. And, uh, and it's, you know, really, I think, you know, the, it's, it's amazing the places they find and the things that they actually pull off um, in making the show. I mean, it's, it's so much more like a movie than a television show. I, I also just want to add one thing about our cast. And we had the experience recently, we were shooting at 3 in the morning, uh, a scene from the premiere. And a lot of the cast was there, and it was 3 in the morning. And I was the least happy about the fact that it was 3 in the morning. That shrill will tell you it's gone. But we were out there, and we were shooting, and, and, uh, and we were all talking about an offstage line that the guys had written. It was important, but it was a line that could eventually be changed in post-production because it was off stage and it motivated a character to come into the scene. And we sat for 10 minutes at 3 in the morning talking about what they should be doing in that moment, which was off stage because it really fed the next beat of the scene. And it just, that's an example of how much our actors bring to the set every single day, season six of a series, which is very rare, that everybody brings their A game cinematographer, John Barkley out there, Rob, Cross, I mean, everybody who's here tonight, and I don't know everybody who's here, but along with the actors, nobody takes this show for granted, and partially it's because these guys throw us such amazing fastballs and curveballs that we have to keep our game up. And, and uh, it's really challenging, and nobody says, the actors never say, oh, this scene, we're walking through the jungle, we hear a noise, we've done it a million times. We all work really hard to figure out how to portray that and deliver that in a way that's as good as our show can be. Now, I, I drove around the island, by the way. Where is the giant statue? I didn't even think of it. It's on the north shore. Um, you got to go to the strip truck. 
Um, and I, I have one more question for you, Jen. Um, when, when this show came about, I mean, it must have seemed, you know, it's always a, a kind of a leap of faith to go to a television pilot, but, but for you in particular, it seems to go to an American show um, on a network that was struggling at the time. I just wondered what kind of, what your, your mindset was um, when this opportunity first came to do the show originally. Uh, well, when I finally got to do the script, the pilot, it was, it was either going to be the biggest, the, the best and the biggest show on television, or the worst. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, well, might as well just take a chance and do it. And you know, Damon um, and Carlton actually joined us a little later after the pilot, but, but Damon Lindelof, he created this amazing character just after meeting, just meeting me, and I originally went for Kate. They, they didn't have a, a character that was right for me, but they still wanted to meet. And, and then, you know, the same day they decided to create this character, and then a couple days later they decided to create um, Jin, uh, played by Daniel Lee Kim. So, um, just, it was just, to be, to be an actor and to have such an amazing, writer and producer to say, hey, I'm going to write your role. It's really hard to turn it down and go, nah, I'm going to do something else. No, it was like the best compliment as an actor. So, and you, I you, think is, the, the right decision. You, you're being very modest because, you know, you came in, uh, you just read, read for Kate and she, she was so great that we created the, the idea to have you know, Korean characters on the show came from the fact that we said we've got to do this. So Daniel actually, as a result of that meeting in your town, existed because of that as well too. Right. So. Daniel should thank me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, although, but I didn't think of the show without Sun and Jin. Right? I, the fact that there was ever a version of it, you know, it, it was just um, again this sort of divine intervention. That feeling that Jack uh, Bender described earlier. The show is writing itself in many ways. It just felt the right collection of people came together. The fact that, you know, Michael, you know, we were looking for a Michael Emerson type to play Benjamin Linus, and, you know, who was at the time Henry Gale, and April Webster, our casting director, who, you know, was largely responsible for casting the pilot, basically said, Why well, go for a Michael Emerson type? If, if you can get Michael Emerson, here's his phone number. So, uh, you know, it, uh, it, it all fell into <laughs> We called you. You met us in our cage. And he was like, uh, he was walking through the slushes in the streets of New York. And was like, would you like to come to Hawaii for like three episodes? <laughs> no, but you don't know. This really isn't like a Lemmers. Yeah. <laughs> and Jorge, you know, there, there was no Hurley in the pilot either. He actually, we gave him Sawyer sides. Right. Because we had seen him on an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm. And JJ was like, that guy's hysterical. And he's got to be on Lost. And we're like, there's nobody going to play it. We'll figure it out. So he came in and he read a, a Sawyer scene, and uh, and then we wrote Hurley for you. That just that just tell you something about what it's like to work for these guys. <laughs> <laughs> you get a script and you, you say, "Is anything going to change?" And you say, "Well, I, I just probably." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got hired. I haven't even seen the script yet. For me, it was like, well, if anything, I got a little vacation in Hawaii. <laughs> And then you know, we'll see what goes from there. And now you have your own drinking game built around you. Every time Hurley says, dude, right? All right. Yeah. 
you have a problem. I do, yeah. <laughs> that, that's not an actual argument. So after the episode, I explain it away that way. All right. Um, all right, so let's move to the last clip, uh, which I believe is of Michael and uh, Terry together. So why don't you set that up? And then after that ends, uh, we'll go to Q&A from the audience. There's a microphone down here, so just when the clips end, if you have a question, uh, come down to the microphone, we'll get in as many as we can. I think as opposed to us setting up this clip, you know, it might be interesting to sort of hear from either Terry, you know, or, Terry or Michael in terms of what it was like to, the, uh, to shoot. Oh. But this is, you know, this is one of our favorite scenes in the show ever, and uh, Jack uh, directed this episode, but, you know, it, and it, it's one of the longest scenes that we've ever written in the show, and we were just like, we oh got the actors are going to kill us for having to uh, go through all this, but then when we saw it, it was just, you know, yeah, I mean, there's something that, you know, it's funny, there's just alchemy that exists, and there's a certain alchemy when Ben and Locke are seen together, and I think this scene is sort of the apex of that alchemy. But what do you guys have anything you want to say about before we continue? It was shocking when I read it. You know, you're reading along, and there are always surprises in the script, but this was, I thought, you know, can we do that? I'm going to do that? <laughs> What does that mean if I do that? <laughs> you know, but no one answers those questions for you. So you just, <laughs> and it, it ended up being pro probably the most memorable day's work on the set that I ever had on this program. As astonishing gravity in the room and uh, re remarkable work of an extremely high order. I. Terry was a formidable presence that day. The beyond acting, channeling something from beyond, and you, you, I, I was uh, afraid and sometimes unable to breathe. It, the, the intensity was so great. I sometimes didn't know whether to continue with the scene. Boy, well, how was it? Very good. <laughs> All I can say is that Damon's wrong when, when, when we get scenes like that, we're, we're delighted. I, I just remember trying to go to sleep the night before, which is a pretty constant state. There's something that's written for you that is exciting, and you're going to go to work with Jack Bender and Mike Lemerson. Um, I, I just remember being tired because I couldn't go to sleep that night. We've got to make you tired more often. <laughs> yes, you do. Let's uh, let's run that last clip. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, 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 what, I remember. That's John. 
I, I want to know if there have ever been any anagrams or Easter eggs that you placed in the show that we just totally didn't pick up upon. Uh, if there were, we certainly would yeah. tell you now. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, you know, once we started planning Easter eggs in the show, it was a much more common occurrence for people to find stuff that we hadn't hidden um, versus missing stuff that we had. I think that, you know, thanks uh, in large part to the internet and the vigilance of the fans, we never have to worry about somebody missing something. So, I apologize, this is going to have to be the last question, and then after that, there's going to be a, a quick promo for ABC that they have to run. So, um, you've got the last question. Sorry. I just want to uh, before the season final, I you have a plan to have a big, a big party at the Lanky Beach. And you Really, really appreciate it. 